The world didn't need another hockey podcast. It needed a better one. Bear witness to the two-man forecheck. Good morning, Chris. Good morning, Mike. Uh, we have an interesting week uh, for the offseason. There's stuff being talked about that's not the usual, you know, let's look at everyone's new contracts and contracts and trades they made or didn't make or let's talk about this player who hasn't been on the team in 17 years um, and their worthiness for the hall of fame or going up in the rafters nonsense. Um, unfortunately, there's not much that's actually positive that's happened in the past week. Wait, are you trying to tell me that we're not going to be talking about um, observations from development camps and, and contract signings and who did what and giving grades? Well, there are a couple. There is a contract signing we want to talk about. Okay. There's there's a someone tweeted their homemade list of the top wingers in the NHL, and honestly, I think it's funny. That doesn't make it good, but it's definitely funny. Um, doesn't make it good. Okay, this is going to be entertaining. Oh yes, they they <laughs> have a list of the top seventy five wingers. In different grades, uh, by color, and some of it is bonkers hilarious. Um, Mostly the players not on the list. Okay. Um, But we'll we can do that after we uh, after we take care of one of the bigger stories. I was gonna say, what are we opening with? Because. well, Brooksy has an article on how Labby can fix the Rangers. Um, really? I, I didn't know they were issuing coaches magic wands these days, or at least not functional ones. Um, there's a <clears throat> there's a player who signed in his hometown um, article from the NHLPA. Um, the Bruins signed Jesper or Jesper Boquist, uh, so dipping back into the devil's uh back pockets again um and there's a few and there's a couple of other stories but the two big ones are obviously alex gilchenyuk and tony d'angelo each uh each having a very very memorable week that promises to shape the rest of their career assuming there is magically both of them are currently without contracts but yeah and which one is which one is well Tony D'Angelo is just he he lost his contract because he's Tony D'Angelo I think in my own personal opinion I would have to agree um he's this has been a long time coming of basically Tony D being Tony D and it getting old with well, everyone, um, or if at the, least everyone who's not the Carolina Hurricanes. If the story in the athletic is to be believed, then it's because Tony D'Angelo is Tony D'Angelo, and as good as he may be offensively, and I'm not really sold on his offense like other people are, but okay, I'll let that go. Um, imagine this. He didn't get along with John Tortorella. See, the thing with not getting along with John Tortorella is 
as abrasive as some people find him, if you do your job, just show up and do your job, he loves you. Um, yes. So did, is does D'Angelo have some pretty solid numbers? Yes. He has a 15-goal uh, season in the 1920 season in just 68 games. He had 10, ga- 10 goals in the 2021 season uh, for the for the Hurricanes, um, a total of 51 points in 64 games. And then last year, even in a down year for him, um, he had 11 goals, 31 assists, uh, 42 points in 70 games uh, for a not very good Flyers team. Um, yes, however, John Tortorella <clears throat> uh, clearly did not see the numbers as being the complete story because, oh, wait, he scratched him for five consecutive games. Yeah. One in which they only dressed five defensemen. He preferred not to have this man on the ice and skate one defenseman short than put this guy on the ice. That should tell you all you need to know. And I mean, yeah, the, the article does go on to say that, you know, he, his defensive play is not strong, but not poor enough to outweigh his offensive talent. But it says it did regress. And by the end of the relationship, the two apparently became untenable. I mean, for me, it comes down to the players who towards is on record as not liking were, for lack of a better term, uncoachable. If he regressed in his fourth season around that time, the top end of the range where historically defensemen start getting it in the NHL um, because he hit the... He's at 340 career NHL games now. Um, he's right in that, you know, 200 to 400 uh, game area where, you know, the historical mark used to be. This is when NHL players figure it the heck out uh, at the blue line. If he's regressing at that point, that, yes, he's had a couple of different coaches. I mean, he went from Arizona to the Rangers. The Rangers had... I don't know, four or five different coaches, or maybe three different coaches between the 17-18 season and the 2021 season. He had David Quinn, he had Gallant, he had, uh, yeah, there was, I think there was one other in there too. Was he not gone for Gallant? Um, he or might have been. Oh, was his first year? He might have been there for Gallant's first season. I don't, I don't remember. Um, hey. Then he went to Brindamore in Carolina and now up to Trotz, uh, to Torts in Philly. And it's interesting that you mentioned Carolina because before the Flyers placed him on waivers, bought him out, they were originally intending to trade him back to Carolina where they acquired him from in the first place for, what was it, like a, a first, a second, and a fourth or something? I mean... It was some ridiculous deal that they they heavily, it would seem, overpaid. 
but they tried to trade him back to Carolina. But it turns out that um, because they were going to retain 50% of his salary, which would have cost them $2.5 million, in the NHL collective bargaining agreement, you're not allowed to trade back to the prior team uh, within the year if salary retention is included. It's a rule intended to discourage cap circumvention. Buying him out, he's only costing them $1.66 million. It's actually saving the Flyers money to buy him out. <laughs> but they wanted to trade him back to Carolina, and that's fine. Get something for him instead of losing him for nothing. I understand that. But... But here's the other here's the other part of that. They wanted to trade him back to Carolina. They end up buying him out. And yes. do you know why they wanted to buy? They had to buy him out because thirty other teams wouldn't take him. Because thirty other teams wouldn't take him. Carolina. It's not like Carolina has thrown money at him. You haven't heard anything about him re-signing with Carolina. No. I would say thirty-one other teams don't want him. It may well be 31. Um, Carolina is not in the worst cap position we've ever seen. Um, Everyone is tight at this point. Um, Carolina has 22 players signed and is projected to carry around two and a quarter or two and a half million in cap space. So they will probably end up with another roster player. Um, they do have uh, Svechnikov. Well, they do have Svechnikov out on injured reserve. If he comes back, they're going to have to move someone because his contract is for seven and three quarter million. Um, and yeah, that's that's going to be messy if he makes it back. They are carrying three goaltenders right now, so they they probably couldn't have made it work without sending at least one of those goaltenders back. I mean, yes, uh, Kachetkov um, has uh, is uh, is waivers exempt, and he's probably going to be uh, just because of the cap situation. The guy who ends up uh, back in the minors, but it, uh, the I mean, the main reason it doesn't make sense if Carolina truly is in the Eric Carlson <clears throat> sweepstakes, for lack of a better word, if they really are trying to land Carlson, why would you need Tony D'Angelo, both of which are offensive-minded right-shot defensemen? Um, you also have some other guy who pretends to be a defenseman in Brent Burns already on the roster. I don't see... It doesn't make sense from me from a Carolina perspective. It doesn't make sense to grab him now. It'll no, make sense to grab him can, if you don't land Carlson. You can throw Orlov into that uh, offensive leaning defenseman category as well. They signed him to a two year deal. See, I don't think Orlov uh, even when I mean, he's Orlov in Washington. Orlov is a two way defenseman. Orlov is two way. He's not offensive. He he can score. I mean, clearly. The first 10 games of his tenure with the Bruins, he, he was lights out as far as offense was concerned. But then he cooled off. It's not his main game. He is a two-way defenseman. He gets back on defense. 
don't see that as much from guys like D'Angelo and Burns, who I think Burns still needs a map to know where defense is actually played. See, uh, the thing with for Burns with me is that he seems to remember how to play defense and actually have the motivation to do it like three times a season. And okay. it's frustrating to watch him do it because he's not actually terrible at it. <laughs> when, what do you mean he's not actually terrible at it? When he tries. Okay. Because of his size and reach and his still reasonable skating. He's about league average, but he probably spends maybe 20 minutes an entire season actually playing viable defense. The rest of the time, he's terrible. Ouch. Fair enough. So, yes, so he's gone. And I can understand where a player of his ilk and if his personality had come through at all under Torts, I can understand why Torts doesn't have any patience for the man. I mean, you look what happened between him and, and Pierre-Luc Dubois up in Columbus. It, it doesn't surprise me. He doesn't put up with people who aren't going to show up every day and give everything they have every day and do it his way. I mean, I said it when we first started talking, you know, John Tortorella, you show up and do your job, which. Yeah, exactly. And do your job his way. Um, And he's he's fine. He'll he'll work with anyone. Um, But he does legitimately expect everyone on the roster, whether they're first overall generational talent or undrafted uh, and, you know, in their 17th season to show up and sweat uh, until their boy bits are bleeding from sweating. Like, it's that simple. Okay. Interesting. Um, I... I I agree, and it is... I think D'Angelo is probably KHL-bound or Swedish Hockey League-bound. Yes. Um, Because I can't see an NHL team hiring him right now. I'd be inclined to agree. I don't see how he, he. The sad part is that there is an NHL team that's going to, at some point, give him yet another opportunity. Oh, when the cap goes back up, he will. He'll be back. He'll get at least a one-year contract. It will be very close to what he was making. Um, but it's not going to be. This Excuse me. No, I, I, I. I I've never been sold on Tony D'Angelo, and I think that it's starting to become recognized around uh, around the league that there might be some issues here. Speaking of issues. Go for it. Well, there was another buyout uh, in Arizona. Um, That was a contract termination. Oh, I'm sorry. Contract termination was not a buyout. They terminated his contract. Uh, Alex Galchenyuk, um, and we know that he's been moved because of his his ruggedness, his toughness. You know, when we we've talked about it ad nauseum. You know, if you want to get tough, you acquire Galchenyuk. Well, uh, he he, I don't, he had some very tough words for uh, for some people who were helping, him, who were there to witness him being helped off the ground. 
Um, I was gonna say, I think the to- I think the toughness should not have extended to the situation that got him contract terminated. I mean, in, to have your contract terminated twelve days after you signed it by a franchise that hasn't had the best PR in the first place, and in this case, if ten percent of the data in the in the um, in the reports that we're seeing and hearing is correct. I am in no way surprised. Um, and it's probably warranted under the CBA. Um, in fact, very nearly required. Um, the word allegedly is used repeatedly, uh, as repeatedly it in the article. So let's, let, let's point that out. For In order to terminate a contract, you need cause if the if the uh, Scottsdale police a department that does use body cams according to uh, some of the reports that I'm reading is sharing pretty pretty strong details of the events with the athletic I'm assuming they shared nearly everything or possibly everything with the Coyotes, uh, who in turn almost certainly shared it with the league and the NHLPA. Um, technically speaking, the NHLPA has 60 days to file a complaint or grievance if they think that there's a this contract is wrongly terminated, uh, the player has been done wrong, or whatever. Um, they they are they are reviewing the details of the incident. They're probably reviewing them. Um, probably, you know, if I were if I were uh, among the team reviewing them, it would be for future training for uh, for uh, incoming players into the NHL or possibly into the into any of the feeder leagues um, on how not or on how to end your career. Because let's. Let's go over some of the details of what we've seen uh, in these reports. Uh, looking at Arizona 12, uh, Kevin Regan, uh, Galchenyuk apparently threatened to chop an officer and his family members and have their kidneys cut out. The suspect, Alex uh, Chernobyl, um, I mean Galchenyuk, I will end your bloodline, he supposedly said to the Scottsdale police. One phone call and you're dead. And then, because he wasn't explicit enough in it, uh, in his uh, urge to end his career and possibly do 25 to life, uh, a bunch of racial slurs to a police officer who almost certainly was wearing a body cam. And the thing is, this all started, he was, he was driving his, his as you, as it says in the article, his white BMW. I don't know why it's important to identify what his vehicle is, but his white BMW is driving it. And apparently he hit a curb and he hit a road sign. I'm guessing we're talking like a, a stop sign or a yield, you know, street sign. Whatever. We're not talking about something he wasn't on a highway so he's not like hitting some kind of light standard or something 
and even even the report indicates that it was a hit and run incident with a sign. I mean, they used the word hit. And, they used the word hit and run. In fact, the charges included private property hit and run. There you go. I like that. I've never heard that before. That's a new one for me. Disorderly conduct, failure to obey, resisting arrest, and threatening or intimidating. Uh, it was only property damage and no injuries. So even he wasn't hurt. Um, yes. The the phrase that the coyotes used in their termination was material breach of terms. Material breach of terms. That's a that's a long winded way of saying you bleeped up by the numbers. Yeah. Which is also a long way of saying you effed up. <laughs> um, this is straight out of John Marshall's uh, article from Valley Sports, uh, where the club is quoted as saying, we are aware of the incident involving Alex Galchenyuk and strongly condemn this type of behavior. Once the club was made aware of the allegations, we immediately began the process of terminating his standard player's contract through the proper channels in conjunction with the National Hockey League. Um, it's, I mean, they describe him as heavily impaired. Um, If we really must make a case for defending Galchenyuk, and I suppose it's an interesting thought exercise, it's theoretically possible that despite the fact that no one saw any signs of injury, where he was laying on the ground, whether in the accident or after the accident, it's possible that he, you know, hit his head and was suffering concussion syndromes, uh, concussion symptoms. And that's that's why the things that fell out of his mouth over and over and over again um, actually came out. Uh huh. That said, I I think there's a decent chance that he and Gelchenyuk are playing on the uh, he and D'Angelo are playing on the same KHL team uh, two months from now, assuming Mr. Gelchenyuk is you know still at liberty to make those decisions for himself. I'm sorry, but when you say I'm gonna chop you and your daughter, let me go or I will make one phone call. You'll never see your family. How scary is that? That's the quote. You'll never see your family. How scary is that? I mean, I, I yes, there was some level of impairment, but I, I his dad was apparently on scene because his dad helped him back into the car. Yes. Um I mean, he's played 654 NHL games. Uh, he's played, he's 29 years old. This and isn't con- some 19, 21 year old getting drunk because they got there when they got their first contract uh, with the NHL and doing something stupid. This is a guy who has failed to contribute at a significant level in the NHL since the 18, 19 season. Third overall in the 2012 draft pick, 
born in 94 when his dad was playing for the Milwaukee Admirals. Um, I can't defend this behavior. I'm sorry. This is you're you're an adult. You're 29 years old. Grow up. There's this is is insulting. This is ridiculous. This is uh, if you if somebody is on the scene like his dad, tell him to shut the hell up. I'm sorry. Just put your hand over his mouth and for uh, you know what? On the one hand, well, I I think. I hope that the elder Gelchenyuk said something. On the other hand, it's not his responsibility. If he's out at 29 years old, driving drunk enough to have an accident and be heavily impaired, because quite frankly, I had an accident even after a drink or two, it would effectively scare me sober. (laughs) Even if it was a minor accident where nothing happened, there is there is one paragraph in the athletic story that I'm hoping he makes use of this. It says typically when an NHL player is involved in an incident involving alcohol or arrested, that player will be contacted by the NHL NHLPA Player Assistance Program for evaluation. Galchenyuk will still be eligible to utilize the player assistance program despite his contract being terminated. I really hope he makes full use of this. As someone who's got more than a, at least one or two relatives who have had substance abuse issues, assuming that's what this is and it wasn't, I don't know, a, a serious bout of emotional trauma that led to the drinking on this one single occasion. Mm-hmm. Um, it's hard. It's very, very hard to get cleaned up. It's certainly possible, but you have to, like two things have to happen. One, you have to realize that your life has turned into um, a whole bunch of sewage and two, wow. you really have to want to clean up more than you want your next fix, whatever your whatever your chemical of choice is. Mm-hmm. Um, those that's the only way it happens. The only way. And if he does indeed have a problem, and this isn't a one-time whoopsie, uh, which. Again, the word allegedly is used a lot. I don't recall ever reading any articles regarding Alex. Yeah, I haven't I haven't heard or seen anything else regarding him having issues. So, yeah, definitely possible that he could just have had this one single incident where everything went off the rails. Definitely possible. Assuming any of it is true even though it's widely reported and there's a contract termination already, um, it's maybe there's a case of mistaken identity or who knows. I don't believe that. I but doubt I think it if his dad was on the scene. I don't think it's mistaken identity, but. Um, but I think that if he wants to clean up 
or at least repair his public image. Mm-hmm. He needs to make a statement very nearly yesterday in regards to what what was going on, why it's not going to happen in the future, and why people should believe him. Yeah, we're getting into. I mean, we're getting into mincing words now, but. Just coming out and making a statement isn't enough. He's got to show that there's got to be a true show of remorse. There's got the the statements that you made to these officers, the the words that you used, the slurs that he reportedly used. Just making a statement isn't enough. There's there's got to be real it's, remorse here. There's if there isn't, look, then don't bother. And you know what? The the threats to the officers themselves, they probably hear those at least once a week. But when you start threatening people's families, you cross lines like you have absolutely crossed lines. And there's not a lot of ways to make up for that. Uh, I hope for his sake that whether he ends up behind bars for a couple of years, which seems possible, um, or he ends up in a substance abuse program or mood is a mood disorder treatment, um, that he actually gets to a better place, regardless of what he does with his future. But I, I don't see him in the NHL in, in the next two or three years. I don't. And today is July 16th. I I don't know that we see him in the NHL again. 29 years old. He's signing a one-year two-way contract for basically league minimum, $775,000. I don't think we see him in the NHL again. You know what? If If he chooses to make his life better... Uh, assuming he can get out of this without it, without jail time and goes and plays elsewhere for a couple of years and then retires and, you know, is doing, I don't know, maybe he's doing, maybe he's doing broadcasts or something like that in five years for the NHL or working or working, helping players running an AA style support group or something similar uh, for for uh, for current and former league players. Then I should revise my statement. I don't think we'll see him play in the NHL. Oh, no. I, I, I think that both him and D'Angelo are done, dead, and uh, departed. And on that note, is there anything um, happy we can, girls. Is there anything happy we can talk about? <laughs> um... Why don't we head uh, from Arizona almost directly northwest? Northwest. Can't get yes. much more northwest except the coast. Correct. We are going to Seattle. Oh, oh, I like Seattle. Um, Seattle say, Kraken, the Emerald City. They were, um, they were kind enough not to re-sign Morgan Geeky, so he's a Bruin now. It's okay, Chris. You can't actually go a show without mentioning him or your favorite goalie wubby. Hey, he's sticking around, so for now. He's sticking around. They still haven't traded him. (laughs) 
Um, <laughs> Kyler Yamamoto signed a $1.5 million a year, con- uh, single year contract with his hometown Seattle Kraken. Um, the NHLPA uh, has an article up um, from the article. Yamamoto is quoted as saying, I'm pretty excited, but my parents are absolutely stoked right now. They can't believe it. Um, I didn't think there was any way I was going to Seattle. I was almost speechless. I was at my girlfriend's house just relaxing. And after the call, uh, you're trying to wrap your head around it. And we're super ecstatic. I called my parents. They were over the moon jumping for joy. It was a great moment. Um, You know, uh, Adam Larson's a former teammate um, in Edmonton. He texted um, he texted saying how much he's going to love it. Uh, so he, there's that reunion. Um, Yamamoto, of course, played for the Spokane Chiefs of the Western Hockey League. Um, so this is this is legitimately his stomping grounds. Um, honestly, the NHL needs to do more stories like this. And, and what I like is that. He he only signed – the contract is only for one year. It's $1.5 million. It's one year. He's going to get the chance to show what he can do not on an Edmonton team that is inundated with stories of how great certain other players are. Depending on how this comes out, I mean, this is going to be less about Edmonton and more about him and his team and – the team that he's joined and Adam Larson is there and he's going to be playing. He's going to be playing on a team that went to the Western conference final. I mean, hey, I'm happy. I, I, about- I, I can't, I can't be any more happy for the kid. <laughs> no, I, I, I have wanted to see this guy get a better shot at the NHL on a team that's much more well balanced than see than uh, Edmonton, and you know you go further into the article, uh, Yamamoto speaking again. They are just a hard team to play against. His first words about the actual team: They have a great defensive core. They have great forwards. Their goaltending is unbelievable, and they play a hardworking, gritty game. All right, Kyler. I know you want. I know it's, you want to get in good with the team, but unbelievable. No, <laughs> unbelievable is a stretch. But I think he's talking about two teams at the same time. What in this in this block of uh, words? Because here's here's the rest of the quote. Everyone is working together and playing around the same amount of minutes. Every time you play against them, you know you're in for a tough night. I got rocked a couple of times in that building. One of, I mean, if you look at if you look at Seattle, he's saying a lot of absolutely true things about the Seattle Kraken. At least the season two Seattle Krakens. Yeah, but he's also very much speaking in the direction of his now former team because you have two guys playing a lot of minutes, two or four guys playing a lot of minutes, and. You know what happens when those guys are playing and playing and playing and playing? You're not. The guys on the bench are getting cold. They're getting out of the rhythm of the game. And like I now, while this is only a one year deal and adjusting to a new team 
is always uh, is always a thing. Um, I also and there's also the question of how well he's going to handle playing in his hometown market. Um, oh, I'm, know, willing to, I'm willing to bet there's going to be butterflies game one. Oh, there's going to be butterflies probably game one, game two, game three. Certainly before the game, I suspect once he gets on the ice, he'll be he'll be fine. But you know, he played there. He played right in that town as a kid. Yeah. There are people who have been watching him play for his whole life, mom and dad. He, he, like his whole, <laughs> like he played in the he played for the Spokane Chiefs uh, back in the fourteen fifteen season. Um, and there are people who have literally watched him grow up. He's 24 years old now, so it's not like he's decrepit. He'll be 25 to start the season. But, you know, he's 5'8", 153 pounds. So he's probably, aside from adding in facial hair, he probably looks pretty similar to what he did seven or eight years ago before he was drafted. And friends, family, billet mom, billet dad, if he was staying, uh, if he was not staying with his parents. Um, there's going to be a lot of pressure. There's going to be a lot of calls for tickets. There's going to be all sorts of stuff. Um, I, I, I want to see what Taylor Yamamoto full blast and playing, playing consistent, minutes on a on a balanced team looks like be i mean he was taken 22nd overall in that 2017 draft not my favorite draft overall um the top two in that draft have certainly failed to live up to the billing um <laughs> although although he sure is doing a whole lot better in the last season or so um and the rest of the draft is, is there's some bright it, spots, but is it, and, and that's a totally different discussion. Is that really he? Is that really um, Nolan Patrick's fault, or is that the team's fault for drafting him, knowing that Nolan Patrick had met, had a medical issue as, as far as the the um, the migraines and whatnot? I, I I don't know. I just sometimes I wonder if that is entirely you know. I don't consider. I don't know if they consider Patrick a quote unquote bust, but as far as being like the number two pick overall, hasn't lived up to it. But then again, is that all his fault? No. Okay. Uh, see, I see. I I've been a very firm believer for more than a decade that some teams simply do not pay enough attention to um to the health reports of of prospects and that's why they end up with multiple players who are spending 10, 12, 20 games on the injured reserve every season. But we're doing the same thing in juniors or college. I, um, but back to Yamamoto, I mean, I'm just, I'm happy for him. I really am absolutely happy for him. And yeah, he's going to be on a team where, I mean Jeff Jeff Hextall and I I I will admit when I was incorrect when Jeff Hextall was head coach of the Flyers I gave him all kinds of grief I thought that Seattle was wrong in bringing him in 
because I didn't think that he was the right coach for what they were doing. But to lead the team in their second year to a Western Conference final appearance, he's doing he something right. Team, he's doing yes. something right. He, he he clearly it was not all his fault in Philadelphia. I mean, we're seeing that with Torts. No, it was definitely not all his fault. Um, I think I, I mean, put Yamamoto more, is. 12th in scoring in that draft class. So he's yeah. not, he's not had a terrible career. And, but I, I mean, looking at his, looking at his, uh, Western league time, you left wanting a little bit more. And I think we might get to see some of that this season. Am I saying he's going to put up a 50 goal season for the uh, for the Kraken this year? I mean, what are, I didn't look no, it up, but what is his average? No. I didn't look it up, but what is his average time on ice and whatnot? I mean, I, I can pull that. I, up I don't quick. believe it's that high. I can uh, grab it now. Because if you're reading between the lines of that little and blurb, I definitely was. Uh, the the he actually puts the line in between the lines when he says we're going to be you know everybody plays the same amount of minutes I mean clearly he didn't like the amount of time he was or was not playing in Edmonton and looking at it he averages in six years in Edmonton he's averaging 16 minutes 16 and a half minutes a night that's uh, low not, second, high third line time. It's not terrible, but yeah, I mean, and that's probably where he was. That's probably where he was playing. I mean, the the highest amount of minutes he averaged was in the nineteen twenty season, oh, when he only played in twenty seven games, where he averaged seventeen, just under seventeen and a half minutes a night. But the last couple of seasons, he's been pretty uh, consistent with. 16 and a half, slightly over, slightly. So he's averaging 16 and a half minutes a night. If he's looking at those kind of minutes, somewhere between 16 and 18 on a Seattle Kraken team where he's probably going to be squeezing in on the second line. I don't think he's squeezing in first line, but if they squeeze him in as a second line winger. Yeah, 16.28 for average ice time and his time in uh... – Seattle, but he was also among forwards. He was he played, I believe, the fifth most, uh, fourth most ice time, or fourth. <clears throat> I'm sorry, fourth most games between the 1819 and 2022, 2023 seasons. Mm-hmm. Um, that, but you know, you compare that to Dry average 2218, McDavid 2217. Hopkins, uh, Nugent Hopkins, 20.03. And then you have this huge drop-off of four minutes to Yamamoto, another two minutes to Pugliavi. Zach Cassian is next at just under 14 minutes. <laughs> um, Sorry, not a Zach Cassian fan. Alex Chason, 14.30. Um uh, Yuri uh, Korea, Yuri 1226. Um, oh, wait a minute. Zach Hyman has got an uh, average 1949, but he only played half the games of, you know, the guys who were playing the most time. Um, Evander Kane was up there uh, for his 84 game stint. Um, there's 
Let me wait. Let me get this. Reading, it doesn't take a lot of reading between the lines to figure out that he's his motivations for going elsewhere were not just to go play in his home market. So you're telling me that he could be on a line with potentially Matty Beneers, uh, current rookie of the year, and uh, Jared McCann? That's certainly possible. <laughs> it's not a bad line. <laughs> not a big line either. No, no, that no, no, that's not a big line. I understand that. That's not a big line. I get it. But I mean, they've got guy. You got Jordan Everly still there. You got Jaden Schwartz, Yanni Gord, who whether you like him, don't like him, and the guys won two Stanley Cups when in his time with uh, with Tampa Bay. Alexander Wenberg, who is. More of a, a distributor than a goal scorer, but he can put the puck in. Then I mean, what I like is you look at that you look at that team's spending, not only the minutes but the spending. Highest paid player on the team right now is Eberle and Schwartz at five and a half million. Yeah, that can't last very long. Oh no, I'm sorry. The highest paid is actually Grubauer at five point nine. Uh, but if some of the younger players turn out to be who people hope they are, that's that's not going to last. I mean, no, that means boy, Cap's, Maddie. Cap's gonna Cap's gonna increase. Maddie's gonna certainly get Maddie's gonna certainly get a raise, probably upwards of seven and a half, eight, somewhere in there, depending on what his next season or two is like. Uh, it, You've obviously got the, the, the potential for an increase and a large increase in the cap over the next two years where it could go, depending on how you want to read into it, next season could go up four to five million. Season after that, you could have another increase. You could be looking at a potential increase two years from now where a salary cap is eight million dollars higher than it is now. And that's that's huge. Um, I think that that uh, may be the biggest we may actually start to see a gap between the haves and the have-nots among ownership. The question is, will teams learn from the fact that they had to budget money during the last few years? Will they learn to budget money, or once the money is freed up, are they just going to completely go go hog wild? So to oh, no, it, it, it's going to be... Uh, spend as spend can? Yes, <laughs> and that's why I think we may actually see some some we may start seeing different levels of spending um, okay. from teams, particularly if they don't move the floor up too much. I mean, there's no reason for a team that's rebuilding to have to spend to the current cap or even close to the current cap oh when goodness. they want to develop, you know. Is on it, their entry level contracts. Is it Anaheim that's still like millions of dollars below the cap floor? <laughs> oh, there's a couple of teams who are. St- <laughs> yeah, that's going to get a little cap bit crazy floor. when they have to get um, up to the cap floor. Oh no, Anaheim is Anaheim is the only one officially still millions below. 
and it's over eight, but they still only have 16 players signed. Okay. So, so they'll, they, they'll, they'll get over it then. Okay. They'll, they, they'll they, hurdle they, the they will hit it. Okay. They have 11 forwards signed. Um, they have four defensemen signed. Uh, with Dreisaitl do a contract. Um, Troy Terry do a contract. Zegras do a contract. Um, they need to sign a goaltender. Um, yeah, they're gonna they're gonna come in middle of the pack. And of course, they still have Erho Vakaninen on injured reserve. Erho <laughs> Vakaninen. One of those guys who. I might have been talking about uh, in the last seg in the last segment uh, in terms of scouting, maybe. Yeah. Maybe. All right. Where where do we go from Seattle? Because as much as I love talking about Seattle, there's other stuff we need to clear here. Um. Let's let's do a quick one. Um. Let's talk about NHL arbitration dates. Um, well, this ties in or, well because Kyle Yamamoto will be in, in restricted free agent with arbitration at the end of the year. Yeah. <laughs> um, so NHL arbitration dates have leaked out. Um, and people should be able to find them uh, fairly or we should be able to we should start hearing about some of the signings ahead of that. Um, July 20th, which is just four days away, Philip uh, Kurashev, Brandon DeHame, Alex Torpachenko, Noah Cates, those are Blackhawks, Wilds, Blues, and uh, Flyers are all um, those are their dates. Noah Cates has settled already. Mm -hmm. Ilya Samsonov uh, of the uh, Leafs is scheduled for the 21st. Um, Brett Howden, Vince Dunn, and Tanner Jeannot, um, July 24th. That's Kraken, uh, That's Knights, Kraken, and Bolts. Um, Ian Mitchell of the Boston Bruins. I want to say he actually signed already. Ian Mitchell has already signed, so January, July 26th is going to be a day off for the NHL. Unless <laughs> they move somebody up. Ross Colton um, for the Abs on the 27th. Gabriel Velarde, um of the Jets on the 28th. Swayman uh, on the 30th. Um, let's hope they get signed before then. I, I was going to say, I don't expect that. I, I was actually, somebody sent out a tweet. It was one of the one of the usual Boston guys, Murphy or, or Ian, Ian McLaren, or, or, or it was one of those guys, maybe Ty, who said that uh, the, the Boston Bruins player, Boston, under Don Sweeney, no player has ever actually made it to arbitration they've always it's basically just a a tactic to kind of get Sweeney to put his butt in gear and get the players signed they've never actually gone to arbitration under Sweeney no player that said I think that the uh, Bruins arbitration uh, for August 1st Trent Frederick is going to be very very interesting and the discussions around it are going to leave some people pretty um, pretty upset and messy. I'm worried because it is on August 1st that with Swayman ahead of him, how much money is going to be left for Trent? Someone's probably going to get bought out or traded because of this. 
mm-hmm. because of this arbitration. And I think the I think the Bruins front office is planning for that. Um, but I looked. I was looking at Hockey Reference earlier. Yeah. Um, and I, in particular, I was looking at the comparables for Trent Frederick because I wanted to get an idea of. Okay, everyone knows I like Trent Frederick. Yeah, we all do. And I wanted to get an idea of what really, really, really mattered in terms of uh, in terms of what his comparables were. And one of them is Chandler Stevenson. Ah, man just won a man just won his second Stanley Cup. Um, in terms of like similarity scores, you've got uh, Tanner Janot, who who was another close comparable. I think Janot is signed as well. I don't think that he's going to arbitration well, this, either. This article came out several days ago. Okay. Um, um, Tanner Janot, who had possibly, arguably, the biggest um, trade, or was part of one of the biggest trades at the deadline. Yeah, you want to talk about grabbing headlines because. Uh, Tampa Bay seriously overpaid for him. Um, and then, yeah, no, Etu Losterinen of the of the Panthers, who was all over the Bruins series. Yeah, uh, there's another another player that if you're compared with Losterinen, definitely showed up these playoffs. Uh, and you know, looking at look, taking a hard look at some of those players, um, and what they get is probably the best way to figure out what what Frederick will get. Um, yeah. uh, Tanner Janot is getting two point six six five. Okay. Is that a one? Is that a short-term one-year deal, two-year deal? Um, he, his deal was signed. Well, his current deal for the 23-24 and 24-25 is a two-year deal. Um, it includes a two million dollar signing bonus for um the first year. Yeah, he signed a short-term as well. Um, his previous contract was his entry level. Mm-hmm. Last season, he scored six goals. And had 18 points. Trent, he surpassed that, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, Trent, uh, Trent did indeed surpass that. All right, so we, so we, we know that he'll make over two and a half million. Trent Frederick had 17 goals, 14 assists, for 31 points. Yeah, Trenty's looking in the four million range, I think. Um, we three take Chandler a, th- Stevenson. Maybe three and a half. Chandler Stevenson's going to be a bigger number because. He won a Stanley Cup with Washington. Against, but it's not. It's not. What's Chandler making? Chandler Stevenson, two and three quarters. Uh, four uh, four year deal. This this coming season is the last year of yeah. his deal. He's going to sign an extension where he's going to be bumping up into the five range. Five so to six. His his season, sixteen goals, forty nine assists, sixty five points. Mm-hmm. So a little bit more. Um, yeah. That's two sixty goal, sixty point seasons in a row, sixty plus point seasons in a row. That's um, yeah. These are your comparables. Uh, I can see I, comparing Trent to him. I mean, you look at season over season numbers: forty nine points, sixty five points. Granted, okay, he didn't have as many assists, but 
he also didn't play on uh, Chandler Stevenson, if I'm not mistaken, was playing like second line. Yes. Second line minutes. As much as we all love Charlie Coyle, the one thing we everyone wants him to do more, including his coach, his girlfriend, his dogs, um, random people shoot, up. Shoot the, the uh, puck. Seven, <laughs> yes. Shoot the puck. Shoot the puck. He had he had brief moments during the season where it would suddenly he would suddenly have five or six shots on goal and Jack Edwards to mirror all of our feelings was like what the heck's going on <laughs> it, it it yeah he needs to shoot the puck I, I'm pretty sure there was a guy named Duclair that we used to yell that at all the time so um, and probably still needs to so for Trent Frederick yeah, I'm thinking three and a half to four. I think if they manage to get a one-year deal where he still has restricted free agent status afterwards, oh, okay, if they yeah. can get him for a flat three and then promise that extension as soon as possible, I they would, might be able to make it work. I would say one-year one year bridge, one year bridge deal retaining the uh, arbitration rights one year bridge deal two two and three quarters and then the following contract upwards of like three and a half to four I think if you're ta- if you're asking him to go to to stay at uh, under three you're probably looking at four and a quarter for that additional contract because um, his his AAV the last three seasons uh, or last season or last two years of his contract or his last two contract years, one point uh, one million and fifty thousand. OK, so you're giving him more than you're more than doubling his salary for one year. Um, I two and three quarters for one year to, and then I think the sit. year over year improvement is the, is the bigger thing. I mean, he more than doubled his goal output. Okay. After doubling it the previous year. Um, and that's with a coaching change in the middle. Um, he's proved he's coachable. He's proved he's capable of playing consistent minutes and not taking wild amounts of stupid penalties. Um, I think that there is – look, I, I – I'm not trying I, to be – I pretend I'm unbiased or at least try and sound unbiased about most players. I like Trent Frederick at least as much as Chris likes Olmark. Just sign the dude. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not trying to be cheap. I'm trying, I'm trying to and, – and everybody gives – Everybody gives Belichick a, a hard time because he cuts players that everybody likes and this and that, you know, because uh, I'm, it's not that I don't like Trent Frederick. I like him a lot. I just I don't want to overpay him and then have him turn around and be like, OK, now I want five and a half, six. When if you give him two and three quarters now, you can give him six years. You can give him, say, four years at, at five and a half on his next contract as opposed to giving him three now and then having to give him four years at six and a half. It, I mean, it's but nice. The risk to, is, it's nice the to risk pay is the player. Not, but. The risk is him not signing uh, the arbitration deal or demanding mm-hmm. a trade. Supposedly Jeremy demanded a trade, although I guess that was all 
bogus anyway. But because if he demands a trade, yeah, yes, He's still you're gonna... going to end up with you're you're not getting back what you're not getting back a first round pick for him right now because no one wants to give that up. Okay. You might get two seconds. You might get a second and a third or whatever. Um, but you're not going to get a roster player. And we just came out of the dev camp you where suck. all the players who are under consideration there. No, of course not. Um, but okay. Poitras is not physically capable of bringing the same sort of game. No. Um, Rikulov is not physically capable of bringing the same sort of game. I don't think so, but we didn't see him at dev camp. Um, Oscar Steen, we've seen him a number of times. Not <laughs> the same style of player. He can bring he can bring the physical, but on a smaller level, I think. Um, Mark McLaughlin just signed. Probably capable of sticking to the NHL in like a protected third line manner. He did just sign a one year two way, but um, I think. I thought it was kind of disappointing that he only got into two NHL games last year. Yeah, I would like to have seen him more. But not, I think. not that I'm saying I would have kicked anyone else off the team, but I, I thought uh, love the signings uh, that filled up the fourth line last year. Could you have could you have bumped him onto the fourth line instead of bringing in a Garnet Hathaway? I mean, I think yes. Garnet Hathaway. I think Garnet Hathaway had to be included as part of the Orlov deal to balance it out, and it gave Orlov somebody to talk to that he was familiar with. Yes, whether you believe in that sort of thing, but could they have done it? Could they have put McLaughlin in in place of Hathaway? I believe they could have. And I think they would have gotten a little more goal scoring out of it as well. I think that I think McLaughlin has a little bit more goal scoring touch than Hathaway does. Although Hathaway does have a little bit more grit, McLaughlin, and he's not afraid to go into corners and do the dirty work. But I think Hathaway enjoys it a little bit more, if that makes sense. My concern is Hathaway definitely enjoys it. I think I think McLaughlin is happy to play any second, any shift at the NHL level. Well, there's that too. Um, uh, my, but my I, I think that if you're asking me which which one I think has a higher offensive ceiling in the NHL, Garnet Hathaway or Mark McLaughlin, I do lean slightly towards Mark McLaughlin. Yes. Um, Garnet Hathaway... Mm, my con- my concern with Trent Frederick and just to play devil's advocate to you know losing him not losing him is you do sign him to one year three million dollars you give him his arbitration you can't or or you give him his free his restricted free agency you can't sign him then you're stuck dealing him again and because teams know you're stuck dealing him because you can't sign him you're not getting a first round pick anyway. And now you're losing him or you're losing him because if you can't sign him, he goes to he becomes a free agent. You lose him for nothing. And, and that's the thing. I think I think that flat three for one year is probably the safest. I think it's and I think it's setting up for future. 
it's going to make it interesting, sure. I like if he signs at anything under two and a half, I'll be shocked, like literally shocked. If the contract is for more than two, more than three years, I will be deeply shocked. Um, I, I really don't expect to see more than a one year deal. No, um, I don't either. It, it, not with, not with the way things are going and and the whole cap going up and falling. Yeah, no, I don't either. Yeah, jumping back to the arbitration dates, August second, Morgan Barron of the Jets, Troy Terry of the Ducks. Uh, Ryan McLeod of uh, on the fourth. Uh, Ryan McLeod of the Oilers. Brandon Scanlon of the Rangers. Philip Gustafson of the Wild. And Drew O'Connor of the Penguins. Um, it the Penguins should be interesting, uh, strictly from the standpoint that they now have new ownership. Um, and one wonders what the boss's uh, policy is going to be on spending. Um, uh, I've heard the, I mean, the local sports media who shall remain nameless, um, are constantly writing the, writing, uh, the Red Sox over not spending enough, even though they're spending into luxury tax or have, um, as of right now, the Penguins are at 23 of a 23 man roster, um, and slightly over the cap. Um, 2.3 and change with 13 forwards, seven defensemen, three goaltenders on the roster. Um, I have a sneaking suspicion we will see a buyout um, once once that contract is settled. Um, if we if they can't manage a trade. That said, I don't expect Drew O'Connor to to draw a four million dollar contract or anything like that. I doubt it highly. Um, he had, yeah, he played forty five games for the Penguins. He had five goals, six assists, um, was a minus three, and had twelve pims. Uh, and that's, in fairness to him. He did effectively double, or he did slightly du- more than double his uh, his offense the previous season. Okay, I mean, he went from 22 games in the 2021 to 46 in 22-23. But uh, he, yes, he did he did continue to improve, even if you just look at his uh, Wilkes Bar Scranton numbers. Yeah, um, still not one million dollars. There's that points per game swing too. <laughs> Still not four million. Still not four million, but as much as little cap space as the Penguins have, uh, I completely get that they're going to squeeze for every penny they can. Um, and it's going to be interesting to see what the fallout is. Um, people have talked about Jeff Carter being bought out or. Um, I don't know how they move him because he's not been. Uh, he's less than good. And on the back nine, actually probably closer to finishing hole 18. Um, back three. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't see it happening. I, I'm surprised that they haven't made any kind of moves as far as uh, affecting his contract. But 
loyalty is is there's there's something to be said for loyalty i guess i i don't know i i just he has not been the jeff carter that we remember from the flyers Five plus and years ago. from yeah. the la kings and he's no he's just unfortunately not he, he he's slowed down I don't believe he's as strong in the face-off dot as he used to be. You really have to go back to that 16-17 season for the Jeff Carter that we all remember. Um, And even there, he was not at his peak. Um, Speaking of peak, and I'll let all of y'all judge for yourselves what sort of peak. Uh, Guru, uh, Guru Elois tweeted out top 75 wingers heading into next season. <laughs> it's colored one. like nine different colors to differentiate these 75 uh, wingers uh, for the in the league. It's color coordinated. Um, he has Matthew Kachuk, Jason Robertson, Nikita Kucherov, David Pasternak, and Kirill Kaprizov as his top five. Uh, okay. But oh, hand, he, hand raised. No, hand no, no, no. raised. Wait, 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 wait. Okay, fine. Before you say anything else, mm-hmm. look at this list and tell me what's missing. Just the biggest name. The biggest name. No, he's got Jason Robertson. Um, if you're referring to another guy from Edmonton. Not a guy from Edmonton. Uh, I was going to say, because he's actually a center, although he plays wing at times. The biggest name. It, hmm. Certain guy from uh, the Washington Capitals. <laughs> That's true. He is a winger. Why? I don't know why I didn't pick up on that. He's not on this list anywhere. I haven't. I haven't scanned all seventy-five names yet. But if I, the fact that I got to ten and his name hasn't appeared is is. Hey, hey, I responded. I don't know how you leave him. Like, he's I don't know. How, the, he's not on the list anywhere, though. He's not on the list anywhere. Um, You're telling me that he's not as good as Thomas Tatar. Hey, he. According to this list, he's not as good as Daniel Sprong or Jason Zucker. <laughs> and having watched these guys for a number of years, I don't know how – I don't know that I genuinely believe that David Pasternak is better than Brad Marchand. Top 75 wingers heading into next season. So this isn't like – this isn't like just now. This isn't like over the – there's no restrictions on this. This is just top 75 wingers heading into next season. And you're yes. telling me that – has anybody – in? I, I mean, I, I understand it's a tweet, I and I'm not reading the comments. Has anybody oh. made mention of the fact that he's kind of left this Ovechkin guy off the list? Oh, I did mention it to him. Um, someone mentioned the fact that Pierre Engvall is on the list at all. Um, <laughs> another person is talking about uh, Kempe not being in a reasonable spot. I mean, OK, there, there, there's arguments to be made where certain people fall on the list. And 
you can you're going to have that argument no matter where you are because of regional biases and everything else because hey i like alex tuck is he 23rd i don't know uh jesper bratt is he 15 you know carter verhage i love carter verhage and he's 26th you know jared mccann 27 we talked about him a few minutes ago with seattle to bring it i mean there's there's names on this list, and where do they fall? Jonathan Marcheseau just won Con Smythe. He's only 42. So you're going to have those arguments. The question to me is the fact that you've left off a surefire Hall of Famer and somebody who is potentially, and I'm not, I don't want to jinx it, so potentially, you know, going to break a certain record. And he's not even on this list. That's the that's the most egregious thing about it. Where certain names fall, you're going to have those disagreements all the time. But the fact that you've left Alexander Ovechkin off a list involving the top 75 wingers in the league, you're saying that he's no better than 76th. Come on now. Let's stop the foolishness. I'm sorry. I completely. I, I either no, no, bored no. you. I, I either bored I you in the silence you because, or you. <laughs> like some of the placement here just doesn't make sense. I mean, I am anything but the world's biggest Matt Duchesne fan, but I'm pretty certain he's actually still better than Owen Tippett. Um. Yeah. I, I, if it, I would still put Taylor Hall ahead of the last seven, eight, maybe more guys on this list. There's just, I mean, there's uh, a lot of decent names on here that, yeah, where they fall and where we think they should be. And like I said, you're going to have disagreements with people on this list, again, just because of regional biases. Forget about actual numbers or and for that matter you know where brad marchand is 11th seriously he's the best left winger in the game and again i would put i would if you asked me which guy i want to for the next two seasons including playoff runs brad marchand or david pasternak i'm saying marchand 11 out of 10 times i think marchand is a stronger two-way forward um I think that Marshawn is more reliable, especially after watching the last play, last uh, the last three playoff, playoff round. Three playoff runs? Did you say the yeah. last three playoff runs? Because that's what I heard. Yeah, last three playoff runs. And I think you have to put Marshawn ahead of Pasternak. And and that being said, Pasternak was runner up, second place in the in the heart voting. He was runner up. He was number two. Which just tells Mr. you how to Mr. McDavid. So I mean, which just tells you how ridiculous the heart voting is. And then there's Jason Robertson, who I will forever until until he retires. Ask Dallas what took them so long to get him signed. They did it eventually. That's fine, but what like the an hour took, before puck drop. <laughs> I mean, what the what the hell? The guy was in his car driving driving around town, and he got a phone call. Yeah. We, we're going to sign we give in. money. Yeah, we give in. We cave. Get over here. 
I don't know what took so long. I will never know. Unfortunately, I'm not privy to that information, but I love Jason Robertson. Should he be number two? I think – I don't know what – my question is, and I guess it would be the first question I would ask this guru guy, is what basis did he have for making this list? Is it strictly numbers? Is he looking at – I can't tell because it, it, it doesn't look like it's purely points. It, it looks like he like got to like number 10 and then just started filling in names. Tyler to really Tyler Toffoli ahead of Marcia. So Tyler Toffoli ahead of, of uh, Jake DeBrusque, Taylor Hall. I, I'm yeah. Again, like I said, you can, you'll have plenty of arguments. Andre Kuzmenko, uh, he plays for Vancouver. Nobody even knows who he is at this point in time. They will. He's a very good winger. He's, I mean, I like him, but the number of times you hear his name mentioned is is probably one north of zero. Jake Gensel should have been Con Smythe winner, got hosed, but that's another discussion. Twenty eighth. There's there's plenty of room for disagreement as far as where names should be. I would like to know what criteria he used for ranking them. He or she. No idea, and uh, we're just going to leave it there. It does make for fun discussion when you have more time to get into it, though. Um, to let's do the let's do the uh, poll really, really quickly because we're we're running close to time. Yes, bro. Um, I asked midweek, uh, what do NHL Bruins fans think of Sweeney adding former New Jersey Devils Jesper Boquist? Um, choices were hate it, meh, or love it. Much to my surprise, and it honestly makes me think that Twitter is more broken than I thought it was. <laughs> not a single fan bro- voted for hate it. Well, uh, maybe the Bruins fan. I don't. I don't know. Maybe I'm surprised. Maybe no New Jersey fans voted. Because I would assume that at least some New Jersey fans would have would have hated it. I mean, looking at looking at his at his numbers, and he's only twenty four years old. Another nice young. I I like the fact that we're trying to get younger, but he's not lighting it up. He's he he only had twenty one points in seventy games. I mean, I think this is a case of a guy who needs a new zip yes, code. Yes, I agree. I agree with that. I think that he certainly could could do with. He's not getting a lot of minutes. I mean, last season, twenty twenty one, twenty two season, he played he played slightly over thirteen minutes a night, and then last year dipped down to eleven and a half. I mean, that's that's weak. That's like mid third line even into fourth line territory, depending on the, depending on the team, six feet, 180 pounds. He'll turn 31 the day before Thanksgiving. I'm sorry. The day before Halloween. He's not um, turning 31. He's, he's, t- he's I'm sorry. He'll be 25 the day. There before you go. <laughs> on the 30th. Halloween. Wow. <laughs> um, I just said then, he was 24. I just, <laughs> I, I don't hate the trade. 
or the pickup rather. I'm just not sure. I just think it says more as much about the system and what even the Bruins think of the system, uh, Sweeneyus and company, um, than it does about the player. This contract signing is a way of saying, without having to say it out loud in so many words, that none of the guys are ready. None of the prospects, not LaSalle, not uh, Olsen, not um, none of the guys currently in the AHL or including like Beecher and Harrison are are ready to make the jump to the NHL. I, I, I think it says to me that and I I'm not one for giving Sweeney credit. A whole lot of the time, but I think it says to me that Sweeney is trying to keep his options open, whether he thinks that centers in the in 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 Providence are ready for the jump to the big club or not. I think that this is a way of keeping options open. I mean, I can see that clearly he clearly plays a center position. He's not a he's not a center slash winger slash you know he, he's oh but a, he's listed that way he's he's listed uh, as center slash left slash right oh okay so he can play all three positions which again gives gives him a little flexibility um you looked at his minutes whatever his faceoffs look like now that you mention it yeah he's not a center he's playing wing because he's got a total. <clears throat> Total of about 700 face-offs over his four seasons in the NHL. Um, and his face-off percentage is far less than good. Career-wise, 36.2. Um, he, doesn't, he doesn't win a lot. He's playing a wing. I apologize. I did not look at the stats before opening my mouth. So, yeah, he's playing a prim- he's playing primarily a wing position. Okay, fine. So you're bringing him in as a winger and not as a center, which, again, says to me that he's keeping options open and doesn't say to me that he doesn't believe in the centers that are in our system. If he's bringing him in, he's clearly going to be a if you're bringing him in to be a center with those kind of numbers, then I'm questioning Sweeney's job. If he's going if he plays center here this year and by play center, I mean. More than 30% of his games and more than 25 games, there better be like 85 injuries or there better be like 10 injuries at the center position and he better improve at the dot. I mean, even if you look at uh, even if you look at Trent Frederick's face off percentage, it's it's basically 44, 43.9%. Trent Frederick's not great in the faceoff dot either, but he's a, he's nearly an order of magnitude better than Boquist. Yes, I'm not disagreeing with that comment. I'm just saying that I don't. I, I seriously do not think they're bringing Boquist here to be a center. So I I, I absolutely hope not. Um, I think that I think Bergeron extends for one year. I I, I think that it gives everybody a chance to figure out what we got for center positions. So I think Boquist is coming in as a winger. He's going to be playing probably 
Probably third line. I can't see him. I, I, I'm having difficulty seeing him on a second line. So you're saying, assuming Bergeron is back and you put Coyle back on the third line, you get and you get uh, Frederick signed. Are you looking at a third line of Coyle, Frederick, and Boquist? No. Oh, see, they messed it all up when they traded Hall. Um, because that would I leave like Zaka with that could leave Zaka, um, Pasta, and oh god, who was the well, we know they want who was my suspect for the uh, th- other third, second line spot, assuming Bergeron is back. Um, well, there's all kinds of weird talk, they want to move DeBras back to left wing. Would, no, would no, you know what. Boquist will go. Boquist will step up to the second line, and he'll play with Zaka and whomever. Zaka and Pasta. Van Riemsdyk is going to be third line. So you're Coyle. going to saddle for um, for Charlie or yeah. Coyle with uh, with JVR. Yeah, unfortunately, I think I don't know that JVR is any faster than Charlie Coyle to begin with. I don't know that JVR is any faster than Milan Lucic. (laughs) So you put, so instead of Taylor Hall, you're going to have James Van Riemsdyk. The ghost of James Van Riemsdyk. Hall, Frederick, and JVR. I mean, uh, Coyle, Frederick, and JVR. And, and, And then your fourth line is... Jesus, throw a dart at the board and pick somebody. Basically, yes. Milan um, Lucic and maybe they should maybe they should bring back Nosik. Um, I don't know if you saw the Laviolette uh, article by Brooks. Oh, is Larry? Larry got something out that's worth reading here. Larry, uh, Larry seems to think that. In, in order to take like giant steps forward, they need to take baby steps backwards by giving the babies of the roster, of the forward roster, uh, more ice time and more responsibility. Um, and by babies, we mean guys who are, you know, 24, 25 years old at this point. Um, but compared to the old sticks surrounding them, uh, I mean, Philip Cheadle, 23 years old. Capo Caco, 22 years old. Um, Alex Lafreniere is 21 and unsigned at this point. Yeah. But but these guys are still three, four years, two, three, four years into their NHL careers. Um, I, I, I personally think that Lafreniere and Capo Caco should definitely have been uh, in June in major juniors somewhere for another year before coming to the NHL. I will die on that hill, um, and I will take lots of people with me. Um, but uh, you know, you look at you look at uh, Cheadle's numbers, and he went from sixty-seven games and twenty-two points in twenty-one twenty-two to forty-five points in seventy-four games, more than doubling his points um, in twenty-two twenty-three. And that's well going from eight eight goals to twenty two goals. Um, 
it looks like he's getting the NHL at this point. Um, you look at uh, you look at Capo. Best goals for best assist season. Are they really babies anymore in the NHL? You know, if you stop thinking of them as the kids and start thinking of them as guys who have played 200 plus games in the NHL, maybe just maybe they'll respond better and you'll be more willing to let them do the work. I mean, the only one of the three that is really questionable in terms of progression is Lafreniere. Um, And he at least played his most games. Uh, He did progress in terms of points. Um, He more than doubled his previous season, or he effectively doubled his previous season's assists. But, and had his best total offensive season, but he's not looking like a first round pick, much less a, um, a first overall. Is the, is our, so here's my question. Is the question, is the answer more responsibility or just that these guys are these guys? Well, I'm looking I'm, I'm, I'm reading Larry Brooks here, and and as much as I like Larry Brooks, even though he's in New York, and the problem I have with this is that this team is not, and he even says it in the article, this team is not a development team. The NHL is not a development league, allowing the players to play. I don't know that it's LaViolette's deal to make the decision on whether he should whether they should be a a, a development type, you know allow the young guys to develop i think that i mean that's a management decision but i, do I think that that's something about that, i think that's something that, being a development league i think that's something that the the jury's going to hand down the laviolette look he's he's going to turn around and say look we need to win the, and he's right they've won one stanley cup since 1940 so you're talking 80 some odd years and they've won it once back in what was it? 94, if I'm not mistaken. Um, this is it, this is not good for a franchise that, you know, is a proud franchise. They they want to win. They're a proud franchise, but they were. Let's face Hedel, it. They've Hedel made Hedel a lot Kako of and, moves in the past 15 years. He'll be gone. need to just catch up. They've done. They've gone all in on free agents and trade pieces mm-hmm. at the expense of you know burning their burning their uh, organizational depth over and over again. And sometimes you have to pay the piper. You know, winning is its winning tends to justify everything, and they haven't won. And. As much as some of the young players have not hit the levels that everyone hoped they would, Panarin and Zibanejad in the playoffs are still wildly inconsistent and don't contribute at the levels that we all hope they think, all hope they should, or think they should. Mm-hmm. I mean. 
Panarin in 57 playoff games has 16 NHL goals. He's under a point per game in the playoffs. He's over a point per game in the regular season. He's, and while plus minus is not my favorite stat ever, he's a plus 138 in 590 regular season games. He's a minus 16 in those same 57 playoff games. Laviolette is going to come in and play these. And, and since, since Larry specifically names these three guys, you know, Heedle and Heedle and Taco and Lafreniere. Laviolette's going to come in and he's going to play them like the veterans that they are. He's not going to coddle them. He's not going to give them a break. He's not going to, oh, we got to, if they, if they're terrible, he will bench them. You know, he will give them a night off, you know, scratch, you know, scratch coach's decision, DNPCD. He is not going to come in and play favorites. He is not going to come in and say, well, you know, we got to do this, you know. And unfortunately, you look at the guys on defense that are also young. You look at Adam Fox. They didn't give him any leeway. They they rolled him out there as a – Gallant rolled him out there as a rookie. And, oh, wait, he only won, like, you know, the Norris Trophy. Ke'Andre Miller just signed a two-year deal. Uh, and that's where I extension. Wildly, and that's where I wildly disagree with Brooks on the NHL not being a development league. It's absolutely a development league. You look at, I mean, let's, you just have to develop quicker. You have to develop more consistently. Uh, and I mean, Alex Alex Ovechkin came into the league. It took him a long time before he won the A Cup. But you look at Pittsburgh. It took Crosby. Five, what was it, five years to get in there and win a cup? Crosby had more help than Ovechkin did. Let's Crosby and Melkin, and you still Crosby. had Jordan. Um, Crosby had Crosby had quite a bit of help there. and, and But it was – but a lot of – I mean, yes, there were some veteran players on that team. Yes. But that team was still about 50% young guys. And so – to say that the league isn't a development league, horse crap. Absolute horse crap. You have to develop you have to develop players, which means your coaches, whether it's the head coach or the assistant coaches, need to know how young play how to communicate with the young players and how to allow the motivated ones to maximize their own potential or reach their potential, however you want to term it. Um, I mean, you, Hey, look at, look at Tampa Bay. They had a, they had a heavily homegrown roster when they went through, when they went through those cups, uh, that cup run, you know, Kucherov, they had point, they had, um, Stamkos. Obviously they had Hedman on the back end, uh, a couple of other guys who either, were drafted by them or acquired by them and played their first hundred games in the, in the NHL in a, in a Bolts roster. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I don't know where Brooks came up with this one. I, I understand. Well, I'm going to guess that there's frustration 
uh, on the level of they haven't won a Stanley they've won one Stanley Cup in the last 80 plus years um, is it also because he's trying to generate some kind of interest in I don't know summer interest in the New York Rangers I don't know it's I don't agree with him in the fact that LaViolette just has to, you know, no, LaViolette is going to coach the way he can. If there's one thing I know about LaViolette, and I don't know him personally, but knowing him from watching him and watching him coach in in Providence and watching him coach in Nashville and, and the man's been to the Stanley Cup final with three different organizations, I think he knows what he's doing. He's going to play these guys the way he sees fit. If they make mistakes, he's going to sit them. If they if they do better than expected, he's going to reward them with more ice time. He's not going to, in some way... He's not going to coddle them. He's not going to coddle them. He's not going to protect them. He's not going to make it easier for them. You're getting paid to be an NHL player. He's going to play you and expect results. <laughs> I, I, I don't. I, I guess maybe I don't understand the concept of the article because that's what it boils down to. You know, he's sitting here saying he has to allow them to make mistakes. He's going to allow them to play, but if he makes mistakes, he's not going to just be like, "Oh, okay, that's fine." No. You're playing a big boy game. Pull on your big boy pants, and if you can't do it, then you're going to sit. I think that the thing is, though, <laughs> when we – yes and no. I mean, Trent Frederick, you look at the change in his play over – just by comparison, last year over over two previous – the two over two seasons before. Two seasons before under Cassidy, every time Frederick made a mistake or the officials blew a call – Frederick got to sit for like five games. That's the difference. I'm not saying sit him for five games. Under Montgomery this year, Frederick, if he made a mistake, he was told, assuming he didn't already figure it out. And he got back out there maybe the next shift or the shift after. Right. But the problem is allowed to play consistently. And I think that the what. What Brooks criticizes about Gallant is that Gallant's hard line was a tiny bit harder than I think than Brooks believes is necessary. Okay. Um, that said, I. That said, I don't think. I don't think these three hand. kids are the or these three youngest these three young forwards are the biggest problem with the Rangers. I think that your leadership no. group has. And I agree. Has um, character absences every once in a while. I think the biggest problem is that they're expecting way too much out of Chris Kreider, but that's just one of many. So you're you're not <laughs> expecting him to have another fifty plus goal season? Wait, wait. Then, if that then, if, if if this were if if this were baseball. They would have been random drug testing him immediately. (laughs) 
if he didn't have more than 20 home runs in a season and then suddenly hit 50-plus, they're going to test him. The man never had anything close to a 50-goal season. All of a sudden, he's, what, scoring 53, was it, in that one, in last he year? He scored we, 52 in 21-22 after his previous seasons were 20, 24, 28, 16, 28, 21, 21, 21, 17, 2. Wait, wait, wait. So he never broke 30 goals a season and then suddenly has 52 goals. Yes. And this season he regressed back to uh, 36. Oh, okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, In baseball, he would have been getting tested. And I'm not saying that hockey doesn't test. I'm not going into the whole testing thing. I'm just saying that numbers like that and having one outlier that big – would have brought more attention in other sports. Wait, you're he's saying not that a fi- because in his not a 733 goals. games, he's not with 265 goals, yeah. almost one fifth of them have come yeah. in one season. He's, you're, you're saying that there might be something hinky there. <laughs> the thought had crossed my mind. <laughs> I don't know why. I, 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 there's nothing I can put my finger on. Um, I, I, they, they've got more problems than these three youngsters. And to be way honest, way more problems. Yeah. Um, wanted to talk about one more positive thing. Also found Sweet. on the NHLPA website. Anders Lee, um, given credit by Chris Lohman. Uh, and others for more than $300,000 raised for children's cancer. Um, If you're not following Anders Lee on Twitter, um, he's at Lieber, L-E-E-B-E-R-R-09. And the number of tweets, um, including his recent, uh, there are a couple of tweets quoted in the article, Dating back a couple of years, but also um, from as recent as this June, um, he's doing can- he's done cancer jams out on Long Island. Um, this is a big deal. He's got two kids of his own to take care of. Busy NHL career. Um, the fact that he's doing this and we don't hear more about it. This, like the Yamamoto story, um, this is where this is where the NHL fails. Like well, the, it's on the NHLPA website. Doesn't everybody read that? I am, by any measure, a hockey nerd. Yes. And even I don't get to the NHLPA website more than a couple of times a year. Oh. So what you're saying is that the NHL might want to, you know, make this a, make stories like this more available on other media. Besides the like NHLPA covering, website where nobody goes. Like covering it on the NHL website or using their media partners like, I don't know, ESPN um, to maybe talk about this stuff every yes, once in a while. That that fledgling little network. The one that any, that barely anyone's ever heard of, ESPN, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I don't know why you would, you know, use them. I mean, they don't have much in the way of reach. No, the four-letter network is it, – it, I, I honestly am surprised it didn't fold. I don't know how they made it this far to begin with. <sighs> Some mysteries will never, ever, ever. 
I especially like the name. One of the most rewarding initiatives for Lee has been raising money for families impacted by cancer through Jam Cancer in the Can. An initiative he has been part of for over seven years. And this is the first we're hearing of it. I'm thinking that maybe somebody in marketing needs to step up their game. Seven years? Hmm. Yes. I don't... That's a problem. Because this is the type of stuff that needs to be out there. It's it's the type of thing that builds the reputation of the league as a whole and the players and the franchises instead of, you know, listening to all of these stories about Tony D'Angelo and Alex uh, Chernobyl. I mean, Yolchenyuk. Yes. Um, more, more of this and less Mitchell, whatever his name is, the one that the Bruins signed. Yes, please. All of that. Um, more and, of this, less that. Absolutely. Um, one last story before we go. Sure. Um, and it's a brief, brief one. Um, congratulations on 30 years of marriage to Lyle uh, Richardson, a.k.a. Uh, Spectre Hockey. Um, lots and lots of contributions on the hockey front in terms of writing um, and compiling stories. Um, one of the more interesting follows on Twitter um, but he announced that he took uh, two days off to celebrate with uh, the other half. He took two days he, off? What's he thinking? Two days off in July. I mean, of all what is time. He, come on. What is he thinking? You can't take two days off. You never know what's going to happen. <laughs> Congratulations, Specter. 30 years, that is impressive stuff. And that, hockey fans, is where we leave you. Have a great week. Um, We will not be uh, recording next week unless something super major or drastic happens. Both of us have uh, conflicts. Um, So we should be back in two weeks. Take care, and uh, we'll uh, catch you on on the flip side.